Hey, welcome everybody. Sunday worship. It's good to see you guys. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. Happy Fourth of July. Whew. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, let me pray before we get started. Father, I want to thank you, God, for this word that you have given to us today, and I just want to come before you with. Just wisdom and clarity, Father, and I pray that the truth of it will speak into the people's lives. God, I pray for just the heart of transformation and just a revelation of change. I pray, God, that we stop playing church, Lord, but actually be the church that you have called us to be. And so, Lord, I, I pray for your presence here today. Give us, Lord, your wisdom and your clarity. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, we are going through a series about the disciples, life of a disciple, Right? And we're going through it in regards to the Sermon on the Mount, which is like one of the greatest sermons that God, that Jesus Christ, gave to his people. Right? And then in this time, as we are engaged in this, I want to share with you because Jesus is saying that it's not about, it's not just about you declaring, I'm a Christian, but it's about the quality of the Christian that you are. And Jesus is saying, look at me. If you are going to be my disciple, and you're going to be part of my kingdom, then these are the qualities that is given to those people. Now, you don't have to be perfect in adjusting and moving towards those qualities, but you are to be struggling in your pursuit of these qualities. And these are not easy things to do, and, and these are not simple things to do, but he has called us into this. And so today's message is a very searching message, and I want you to search your heart as you listen to what the Word of God is saying, because I really want you to discern what's really there. Because most of the problem that we have is that we lack this specific discernment in our lives. We lack it so much that we don't really see what's going on. We kind of go through the motion of it and thinking, that's good enough. I went through the motion of this thing. I pretty much am there. But God is calling us to search even deeper than that, right? Today we're talking about relationships, not in, um, not in terms of like a, a husband, wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, but this is in terms of relationship between people. And I want us to see what stops us from having relationships and what actually moves us towards relationship. So go to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, let me start with verse 20, because this is pretty much uh, where it starts here. So again, Jesus is declaring that if you are going to be my disciple and be a part of my kingdom, these are the characteristics of those who are belonging to this kingdom. Now, listen, let me tell you, right? These are not characteristics that you can pick and choose from, by the way. It's either complete obedience or you're in disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience, okay? Partial obedience is still disobedience here. And so he calls us into really searching our hearts and seeing this picture. Look at verse 20. It says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is a very crazy statement that Jesus just made to the people who are listening to the sermon. And for some of us, we may not understand what a Pharisee is like or who a Pharisee is, so we don't have that same, like, um, like okay, that's not a big deal. But... If I can picture it this way, what if, what if I said this? That the only way that you can enter the kingdom of heaven is at this moment, you have a one-on-one -on -one game of basketball with LeBron James. And if you cannot beat him, 
you're not entering king, the kingdom of God, right? Think about this. Think about this for a second. This is not, he's not going to give you any baskets here. He's not going to be easy on you. This is a one-on-one basketball match with LeBron James, right, in his prime at this moment. What would happen to you? What would be going through your brain if you heard that? You'd be like, well, I guess we're going to hell today, right? That's really all it is, right? There's no way I can beat LeBron James. There's no way that I can overcome this. And so the people who were listening to this section here, as Jesus was proclaiming it, they were getting kind of freaked out because Jesus was saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And who are the Pharisees? These people are the religious zealots. They're passionate about God. They're passionate about obedience to God. They are passionate about, in the way they are courageous about, they're fanaticals, right? These are the religious of the religious. These are people that you look to and say, that is a religious person. And the majority of the rest of us, us people, look at this and say, that's impossible. I can't get there. But you know what Jesus is really saying here? Something that, we, that I've missed a couple of times, but I, I, as I was reading through it this time, I, I saw it. He said that the problem with the Pharisees is not that they were fanatical. It's not because they were too righteous. It's not because they were moral. It's not because they were fanatical and zealous and obedient. Do you know what the problem with the Pharisee was? They weren't fanatical enough. They weren't fanatical enough, Jesus says. Because why? The Pharisees, they weren't fanatically humble. They weren't fanatically humble. Do you guys realize that? When, 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 when Jesus told them a story about a, a Pharisee before a temple of God, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like one of these tax collectors, this sinner. I thank you that I fast seven days a week, that you would save me. They're not humble. They think that they were beyond people. They think they were superior to others. They were not humble. So they were not fanatical when it came to humility. They were not fanatical when it came to being wise. They questioned Jesus thinking that they knew better, but they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And they were not fanatical when it came to being generous or welcoming. They made a box to make it difficult for everybody else. And Jesus is saying this. The problem with the Pharisees was this. They did everything for show, but there was no heart. Everything was on the outside so that when you look at them, it was wonderful. It was great. But when it came to the heart matters, when it came to deep transformation from the inside out, there was nothing. And Jesus says, I am not looking for what you show me on the outside. I'm looking for what's in the heart because that is where I judge men. It is the heart, not what they do on the outside. And so a lot of us, when it comes to church, we have this religious format that we kind of come to. We have this idea that if I open the Bible and read it enough, check. If I pray 15 minutes a day, check. If I'm nice and I give a little tithing to the church, check. All those things are important, but God is saying, just because you outwardly do these things, it does not mean that your heart is for me. It does not mean that you are for me. And so he says this, these Pharisees, their outwardness looks right, but their heart is far from me. And I think, you know, I, 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 I want to share with you, I think I shared this story before, but some of you guys are new. 
And something I, I know personally in my heart, right? Even as a pastor, I know this, right? I remember, I remember when, back in the days, in, in the old uh, Korean church days, I remember I was coming home late at night after a Bible study, because usually Bible study runs like 10, 11. I, was, I, was, I had to like prepare for school, so I stopped by 7-Eleven to pick up a Red Bull, right? Because I drank Red Bull like water back then, right? And so as I was driving, it was pouring rain, just whoosh, couldn't see. It's one of those cats and dogs kind of storm, right? Couldn't see anything, pouring rain. Here I was, I was driving up to 7-Eleven, and as I was pulling up, okay, I was tired. I was tired. It's been a long day. The kids were just overwhelming today, and I, just, I was just I was just tired. I just want to go home. And here it was before me. As I pulled up, there was this dude in board shorts without a shirt, right? And I'm like, um, shoot, what do I do? Right? Like, I feel like I need to, like, interact. But if I pretend like he's not there, I won't have to interact with him, right? So, and that's less, less stress for me. So what I did was I opened the door, right? He's, he's right here. Like, look at my car headlights. He's standing right there. He's just, like, shivering. I know he's looking at me, but I'm not looking at him. I'm just like, all right get out of the door, and I made this long walk backwards, because I was thinking, if I just get the other side, he won't see me. So I went, as I kind of walk in, just pretending, like, kind of covering my head. And as I walked towards 7-Eleven's door, he says, Psst, sir, can you come here, right? And I was like, oh, dang it, he caught me, right? So I was like, all right, so, so I get it, God, all right, be kind, whatever. So I got, I was coming to him, I was about to pull out my wallet, because I was thinking he's probably asking for a few bucks. Pull out my wallet, and as I pulled out my wallet, he pulled out something, right? He pulled out a Bible. And he says, in this freezing moment, he says, sir, can I read a passage to you? And I'm like, what? What? Right? It's like, we're in the rain. I'm like, uh, yeah, man, go ahead. Right? I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just have this passage I want to give to you. And he's like shivering. I was like, yeah, go ahead. He said, I just felt like this is what God wants to say to you. Right? And he's holding his Bible. It's wet. And he's like, um, my people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. And he closed it. And I was like, right? I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, what's going on? I was like, what in the, I was like, I said, bro, where is your shirt? He's like, yeah, there was, a, there was this homeless dude that was standing here before me. And I was waiting for my ride. And so I just gave him my shirt instead. And I told the ride to take him. I'm like, oh, all right. Sorry, man. <laughs> I was like, man, right? And here, I just came from a Bible study. I was just, I was telling, I was teaching kids to love Jesus, and here I am at the moment where the heart matters. What happened? It was just a front. It was a humbling front, but it was a front. It was something that God reminded me of. My people, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so Jesus is saying that if you belong to my kingdom, you come into my kingdom, then God works a righteousness in you. He works a transformation in you that's not just about religious duties. That's not just about Bible study. That's not just about prayer. That's not just about doing the quote-unquote church things to do. That God works a righteousness in you that transforms the entirety of your life. The way you treat people the way you forgive, the way you stand in the midst of crisis and struggle, the way in which you are generous, the way in which you love. God says, if you come to my kingdom, my righteousness transforms every part of you, not just some part of you. See, the problem with the Pharisees were they weren't fanatic enough. They weren't transformed enough. They only showed what was on the outside. They were missing the heart. You guys follow me? All right? And so Jesus says, at the beginning part of this change, 
that I give to my people, at the beginning part of the change that I give to my people is a change in the way you have relationships. The first thing that God, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount begins to say, now this is the transformation that I give to you. And the first thing that begins to be transformed, the first thing that begins to be molded in you is a change in relationship. Because be honest here, broken relationship is a great source of funny when it's not your relationship, right? When you talk about other people's relationship, it's kind of funny. We laugh about it. We make jokes about it. But when it comes to you, you know it's miserable. A lot of you guys are miserable in your broken relationship with people. And you don't even know that you're miserable because that's how broken you are, right? There was this, uh, this great insult book I read uh, between Winston Churchill and Lady Astor. If you guys didn't know, Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of England during World War II, and Lady Astor was a British politician. And, you know, she didn't like Winston Churchill very much. This is what she said about this guy, right? He said, Mr. Churchill, if I was your wife, I would put poison in your coffee, right? And then Mr. Winston Churchill, without missing a beat, and says, Lady Astor, if I was your husband, I would drink it, right? <laughs> right? It's funny when we talked about when we talk about the issues between brokenness of people. But when it comes to us, we know there's miserableness that's there. And Jesus is saying, I can transform relationships because my kingdom gives that kind of power to its people. I can transform relationship because my kingdom gives that power to people. And so what does that transformation look like? Go look at verse 21 and 22. This is what he says. And this is what the first principle that Jesus lays out in terms of a transformation and relationship. Okay, now you guys to focus because I, 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 this is a very searching part because I need you guys to really think about your heart. The problem with our generation is that oftentimes we deal with just the immediacy and we don't look deep enough. We're not quiet enough to really see the motivating factors and the whys of what we do. I want you guys to spend the next just 30 minutes listening and really do a heart check. Really do a heart-soul check here. Because what I'm about to share with you, what I'm about to share with you is more than just religious outward actions. I'm talking about the heart issues, okay? Look at verse 21. He says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Right? The first principle that Jesus lays out is this. I want you guys to look at each other and say this. Lovelessness is murder. Look at each other and say this. Lovelessness is murder. I don't think you believe that. Let me say it one more time. Lovelessness is murder. Right? Jesus says, you heard, you've heard, which means that other people have interpreted my laws to you, and you've heard that if you commit murder, you will be judged for that. Right? So the interpretation was a physical interpretation. They were taught by the Pharisees that said what? If you physically kill somebody, if you take a dagger and you stab them and they die, you have committed a sin before God and therefore you will be judged, right? That's what you've heard interpreted to you. That's what the Pharisees taught you. 
That's what the religious outward fanatics taught you. But let me tell you, I tell you. You know why I have the right to tell you? Because I wrote it. I wrote it. I tell you this. You know what murder is? Murder is if you are angry with the brother. Murder is if you are you call someone raka. Murder is if you call someone you fool. You think that the physical act itself is conducive to judgment? That's just the outward appearance. I'm looking even deeper into your heart. I'm looking even deeper to what's going on in there. I'm looking even deeper to seeing what's the motivating factor of your heart. And what I see when you begin to have anger, raka, and you fool, is that there is lovelessness. And lovelessness is murder, right? So Jesus, let me, let me explain what these three things mean, okay? Because I don't think you guys understand this deeply. Jesus is equating murder to when you call someone raka. You know what, when, you know what raka is? Raka is a thing you say to someone when you're calling them, you're nobody. Your existence means absolutely nothing to me. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what your life looks like. I have total apathy towards you. You do not exist in my life. When I look at you, I am not seeing you. I am looking through you. When you're in the room with me, I don't acknowledge you. You are being abandoned and uh, forgotten by me. I am pushing you aside. Raka is when you look at somebody and you're saying, this person is nobody. They're not even worth my time. See, the opposite of love is not hate, church. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is saying, I don't care. How often do we look at somebody in our lives who's hurt us, who's wounded us, and we say, no, I don't really care. I don't really, it doesn't bother me. You know, I, I don't really deal with them. It's not that you're not dealing with them. It's the fact that you have in your heart already decided they are nothing to you. I'm not even going to deal with them. And Jesus is saying that attitude right there, that heart issue right there, that significant thought process, that itself is murder. You think that just by physically killing someone, that's the law I'm saying? My people, my kingdom, my house, my rules, and what I say is I don't just look at what you do on the outside. I'm checking your heart. And when your heart looks at another brother, at another sister, at another human being, and your response to that human being is, Raka, you don't matter to me. You don't exist to me. You're nobody. I have total apathy in your existence. When that attitude is there, Jesus is saying, lovelessness is murder. But let's go even further, because he mentioned three things. Another thing that he equates to murder is when you call someone, you fool. You fool. In the Greek, it's the word moris, right? Which we get the word moron, Right? When you call someone you fool, you're calling, you're a moron, right? How many of you guys have been guilty with that, right? I am 100% guilty with that, right? I say this all the time, right? More than I should, okay? And, when, and here's the thing, and I'm not saying this as like a, wow, you know, like PT. Like I'm saying this because I'm a freaking sinner, okay? 
See, let me tell you why mor- the, the phrasing you're a moron is so bad. See, to murder somebody, is, it also means to murder somebody's reputation. Not just about physically murder. It's to murder somebody. It's to murder somebody's repu- reputation. So even more so, to murder someone is to murder their self-confidence in themselves. When you call somebody a moron, the only reason you're doing it is because you hope that they believe you. You hope that they acknowledge you. You hope that they say, yeah, I am. And how many of us in our father wounds have that? When our dad looks at us and says, you're nobody. I don't even, I don't even, you could be in my house, but I don't even really acknowledge your existence. But on top of that, that even if I do acknowledge your existence, my answer to your existence is that you are a moron. And whether we realize it or not, when you, be, when you get them to believe that, when you begin to believe the words of your father or the words of your uh, adult supervisors, right, that's in your life, you have put a, they have put a dagger in your heart that has wounded you even to this day. Why do we have girls with daddy issues? Why do we have guys with addiction issues? It's because of these wounds that has been there from the beginning, when our dads are no longer there. See, when our dads bail on us, you know what that means? It means that your life, your existence, it means nothing to me. I can give you the show that I'm your father, but I'm not gonna be in your life because why do I need to be in your life? You mean nothing to me. And you, and you wonder why we're not messed up. And if, even if they're there, oftentimes we have fathers who look at us and call us morons, idiots. And you wonder why we're so messed up. When you do something like that, when you get someone to believe and hurt, be broken in their self-confidence about who they are, it is the equivalent of putting a dagger through their heart that no surgeon can fix. No physical surgeon can fix it. The third thing, the third thing that Jesus points out is equivalent to murder. See, you heard that as long as you don't kill somebody, physically stab somebody, check, you're good to go. That's what you heard interpreted to you. Let me tell you what that means. If you were to call somebody raka, if you were to call somebody you fool, and if you were to be angry with your brother or your sister, that is equivalent in my kingdom to murder. The third thing is if you're angry with your brother, when there's a swelling up of bitterness, resentment inside, it becomes poison. You guys know an acorn? You know what's so special about an acorn seed? You guys ever seen one, right? An acorn seed? You know what's so amazing about an acorn seed? Within an acorn seed lies all the potential to become a tree. A massive, powerful, big tree. Within this tiny acorn lies all the potential. Given enough fertilization, given enough sun, given enough water, it will grow into that tree. And what Jesus is saying here is that just like that acorn, the entirety of the essence of murder, of killing somebody, of actually taking a life, all of that comes from a tiny seed of resentment. 
resentment towards somebody. What is mass murder? It's from the seed of resentment that has been fertilized, watered over time. You know what's so crazy about that? Because if you understand your true heart, if you understand what actually goes on deep within yourself, the possibilities, the capabilities of your heart, you will not look at a mass murder and say, I will never do such a thing. How could a man like that or a woman like that do such a thing? You will never look at them like that. You know why? Because you will look at them and realize that the difference between you and them is not a difference between quality. It's not a difference between you are more superior, better, smarter than them. That's not the difference. The difference between you and this mass murderer who has come to a school, shot up a bunch of kids, the only difference between you two is the difference of quality, uh, quantity. Quantity. They, their seed of resentment has been fertilized more than yours. Their seed of resentment has been given a place to be watered more than yours. Their seed of resentment has been given enough sunshine to grow and to fester and to be poisoned more than you. But you know, given the right circumstances, you are capable of the exact same thing. That's why when Jesus says, if you are angry at your brother, it is equivalent to murder. Because what's going on in your heart, that resentment, that bitterness, that issue is a swelling up a poison that is there, given the right circumstances, you are able to be moved down into this place of just utter, ugly chaos. See, that's why a Christian, a Christian is never shocked when they see somebody do something horrific. Because a Christian sees that and they see themselves. I am just as capable as that. See, a Christian is never condescending, but actually compassionate. Because a Christian knows the only difference between me and that guy in the jail cell, the guy behind bars, the only difference between me and him is a degree and grace. It's a matter of degree and grace. And if you realize that in your heart, do you realize that in your heart? Do you see that in your heart? Right? Nobody becomes... A murderer overnight, guys. It takes time. It takes moments. I'll tell you a funny story to this, right? If there is the ability to tell a funny story, right? Um, I've never killed a lobster before, a live lobster, right? I've never killed a live lobster before. My wife, but my wife, she loves seafood, you know? So out of love for my wife, she says, honey, I want lobster. I said, all right, I'll call the Chinese food. No, no, no. I want a live one. And so I was like, all right, sure, let's go get it, right? So I, got, I wasn't thinking. I was like, all right, I, was, I, I got it. And here it was, two lobsters in my hand. I was taking it home. I was like, it's still alive. And it's moving, right? So I was thinking, how are we going to kill it? Like, like, how do people kill a lobster, right? I, I, I was YouTubing. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Okay. So I took it home. And we, just, we just sat there. And we were like, all right, what do we do, babe? She was like, you know, cook it. I'm like, hmm. You're right, let's, let's cook it, right? But I was like, you know, animal cruelty, I have this like kind of conscience in my heart, I'm like, you know, I don't want to, like, it's looking at me, and I'm looking at it, it's like, it's like this, like, his eyes are moving, and, you know, his tail's flopping, and you're like, all right, maybe I'll put him in the freezer, because they tell me, put him in the freezer, he'll fall asleep, and then, then you can kill him, right? Kill him when they're sleeping, it's better, right? So I 
put them in the freezer, but I put them in there for like 10 minutes, right, which is not long enough, right? So I took it out, and here I was, I got, I got, my, I got my trusty chef knife, I'm like, all right, here we go, all right? I'm standing there, and the moment I touch his tail, it's curled up, I'm like, oh, lordy, right? So I was like, all right, what do I do? I'm just, I'm, I'm like, kind of like, you know, hey, dude, man, you're, you're a grown man, you can kill a lobster, it's, all right? it's just like a cockroach, just kill him, you know, like, just, just do it, you know, I'm just standing there, and my wife just looking at me, she's like, You've never done this before? Like, no, honey, I've never killed a lobster before. Like, I've never killed anything, right? She's like, just, all right, just, let's, let's just do it, right? And she was like, just watching, she's like, squirming in the background. So I was like, and so, you know, I was like, I'm sorry, man, thank you for your death, right? For it shall feed me. So I just, I just stabbed it. And, you know, I just watched it, Tobi goes down. Like, oh, okay. And so I, I felt a little like, man, that's, whew, that, killing is hard. You know, like, this is a hard thing to do, you know? And so, same thing with the second one. The second one, the first one was hard. The second one was just as hard. She was like, man, he just saw his brother get killed. Like, like, like what am I going to do? You know? So I'm here like, uh. So I did it. Throw him in the pot. Cooked him. It was great. Okay? So, we had a great night. You know? Once, once it's gone, it's good. You know? But then, but then here's, the, here's the problem. You see this? By the third time, my wife requested lobster. Dude, I was pro. I didn't even think about it. I was like, you can move all you want. Sleep. Nah. Right? That's it. It was a fast move, you know? And I was thinking, and this is what Mark said. Oh, she said, is this how it is to kill people, right? And I was like, honey, this is, you know, I don't know, but you're probably here, you know? Because I was telling her, I was telling her, you know, the first time is really hard, but after a few times, like, it gets really easy. It's like, maybe that's how serial killers do it, you know? Like, the first time is the hard one, but then after that, it just becomes really easy, you know? And that's, uh, but I was, I was thinking about it, I was like, that's, that's the human heart, Right? Like, I mean, I'm just talking about lobster, and it's funny, you know, because we eat it, right? But think about this. That the human heart is, once we get down that road, the degree of difference between me and the murderer is not a degree of quality, but it's a degree of, no, a degree of quantity. It's a degree of quantity. That I am just as capable to fall into that same cycle, given the right circumstances, the right fertilization, right? The right feeding. I am just as capable. And that's why Jesus says what? If you're angry, and there's that seed of resentment, that is murder. And all of that comes from what? Lovelessness is? Lovelessness is? Murder. Are you a murderer, church? Yes, if you harbor grudges. Yes, if you're indifferent to people. Yes, if you gossip and lash out in spite. Right? Look at your heart. This whole while you're thinking, I'm pretty good. At least I caught, I, I've never killed anybody. Right? I'm good. At least I got one commandment down. But Jesus is saying, oh, you're foolish. That's what you heard it said. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Murder is not just about physical killing. It's looking at the heart. And when you look at your heart, can you be honest and say that I have not harbored grudge, that I have not called somebody a moron, that I have not looked at somebody and looked through them because I don't care for their existence? Have you, could you really have the courage to say that the seed of resentment has not festered and poisoned your heart? Search your heart. And if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, and the thing that's coming to your brain and you're realizing, oh, shoot, I can't avoid this. This is a problem. I am a murderer. 
Before the eyes of the one true God, not on what people say murder looks like, but before the eyes of the holy God who has made all the universe, he sees my heart and my sin is that I am just as bad as any man. I am a murderer. Do you see that? But let me tell you something. If you see that, if you understand that, if that resonates in your heart, let me tell you something. The law of God, the law that you just experienced from God right here, that law is doing its work. Because you know what the job of the law of God is? The law of God is a taskmaster. Its job is to show you where you are falling short. It cannot save you, but it can be a mirror to your soul. It's like this. It's like the law is like a mirror in James. It says that when you are dirty, you look at a mirror and you realize I'm dirty. It reveals to you who you are. It reveals to you the very essence of your heart. It reveals what's going on. It shows the deepness of your sins before God, but it cannot wash you. Can you try imagine washing yourself with a mirror? You see yourself in the mirror, oh, I'm dirty, and then grabbing the mirror and trying to wash yourself. And so it's the same way that here you are, you see before the word of God that you are in your heart of hearts, a murderer, and trying to now fix it by doing more laws, trying to fix it by covering and doing more things to kind of balance it out. That doesn't heal you. That doesn't save you. The only thing that saves you is this. When you come to the realization of, I cannot save myself. There is a, there is a seed of wickedness in me that is there and it cannot be taken away. I have come to my wit's end. There is nothing I can do. And you turn to the one who can actually save, Jesus Christ. And you say, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give. I know my heart. I know where I am. And if I know that what I'm capable of, and if not by the hand and your grace, I would die. So come and save this wretched soul. And it's only by that. It is only by that confession that the power of God begins to come and brings transformation. It's only by that confession that the power of God begins to come and bring transformation to your life. You see, the moment you recognize that the difference between you and another person is the matter of quantity, not quality, it humbles you. It humbles you, right? You look at someone and you know that you are just as capable. It humbles you and begins to free you. You don't begin to say, I'm better than you, because if you don't believe in God, you have to say that. If you don't believe there is a God, you have to say, I will never be a mass murderer. I will never steal. I will never hurt a woman. I will never do anything sexually deviant. I cannot and will not be capable of such a thing. You have to tell yourself that because you have nothing to hold on to. But a Christian, a follower of Jesus, says what? I look at this person and I know that I'm capable of the exact same thing. I I know I am capable of the same type of sexual immorality. I know I am capable of the exact same type of hate and anger and killing. I know that it is a capability in me. And when you know that, it humbles your heart because you no longer look at that person and think that you're better than that person. You look at that person and you realize, I can have compassion. Because what went on in their life, what circumstances was given to them that fertilized such hate and resentment to the point where it led to this? 
Once you begin to realize that, you know what the Bible tells you to do? Look at verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Because the moment you begin to realize that, what does Jesus tell you to do? Now go and make amends. Go and find a way to fix this. If they have done something against you, it doesn't matter who started it. If they have something against you, you go and you make amends. If you have something against them, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, go and make amends. Don't wait for them to bring it up. Don't wait for them to address the issue. If you know it, you go and you address it yourself. Don't wait for that person to come to you. It's your job to go, to repent, to forgive, and to initiate. When you look at a situation, when you see injustice on the streets, and you see young brothers and young sisters rising up and doing horrific things, you wonder to yourself what led to that situation, this wrong that was done. And what do you do? Do you hate do you hate for the fact that they burned down your building? They burned down your business? They burned down your house? Or do you say, you know what? Let me get back into the place. Let me go back into the streets. Let me go back into the city. Let me go back into the neighborhoods. And let me figure out what led to this conclusion. And make amends. That you initiate rather than you wait for something to be done. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That's not practical, man. Right? I mean, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, yeah, I'll forgive him. Or, yeah, 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 I'll work through it. But to step up, if they have something wrong against me, if I have something wrong against them, to step up, to initiate, to repent first. It says what? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. That you are to repent, to forgive, and to initiate the whole process. If you know, it's impractical. It is impractical. I I, am with you. It's very impractical. But what's the alternative? Who do you want to be? Jesus or his counterpart, Satan? Think about it for a second. Think about Satan for a second, okay? Nobody walks on Satan. Satan doesn't turn the other cheek for anybody. Satan doesn't forgive anybody. Satan doesn't let others talk down to him. Satan is powerful. Satan does not wait for others. Satan is not mistreated by anybody. Nobody mistreats Satan. He's top dog on this earth, right? Nobody does. But is he happy? He is blaming everyone else for his problem. Eaten up by self-pity, resentment, anger, bitterness, that has poisoned his soul like cancer. That Satan said this to God. How dare you, God, make these human cockroaches equivalent to me? They who defecate, they who eat and vomit and do all these things, you made these human cockroaches equivalent to the sons of God, the divine beings that you made before heavens. You made them equal to me. How dare you? And that anger, that resentment, that bitterness is a cancer to his soul. God doesn't need to send Satan to hell. God doesn't need to send Satan to hell because hell is already in his soul. 
eating him up from the inside out. And so it is with anybody who hangs on to anger and calls people morons. You don't need to be sent to hell. Your life becomes a hell. Built on self-pity. Built on blaming everyone for your problems. Built on the point of criticizing and being critical of every situation. Saying, why aren't they like this? Why aren't they like that? You don't need to be sent to hell. Hell is already being developed in your heart. But think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. Here is someone who has done nothing but forgive. All of his life, he came to love us, he came to save us. He opened his arms wide like this, and we threw a spear into his side. And all the while we did that, we mocked him and said, if you truly are the Son of God, come off that cross. And what was his response? Did he say, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. You're right, Satan. Human cockroaches, unworthy of anything. Did he say that? No. Rather, he says what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then after, and then after, when he resurrected, he came back and he saw the very crew that he had, the brothers that he spent three years with. He saw when when his crisis happened, they didn't stick with him. They literally fled from him. They ran from him. They were scared, they were disloyal, they were disobedient, they were fearful, and they were gone. And when he saw them, did he say to them, grovel a little bit, grovel a little bit, and I'll forgive you. Get on your knees a little bit. Make me feel like you are really sorry, and I'll forgive you. Did he say that? You know what he said? He looked at them in their shame, in their guilt, and they know it. He said, peace be to you. My peace. Don't be afraid. Don't feel ashamed. I am for you. Do you know what the law is? The law is this taskmaster that, re- that, that shows you who you are. But at the same time, the law is hope. You know why? Why do you think Jesus tells us that these things leads to murder? Why do you think the law tells us these things? Because, Jesus, because God himself... God himself is not resentful. God himself does not look at us and say, you moron. God himself does not look at us and look through us. God himself is not angry. That is the characteristic of our God. And that's hope. There's hope because what we see in the life of Jesus Christ to you is not grovel. It's not make me feel like you really, really feel bad. Then I'll forgive you. The Bible says that even while we were sinners, he died for us. Even before we repented, he died for us. Even before we said, I'm sorry, he made the way for us. That is our God. You tell me, who do you want to be like? You tell me, who do you want to be like? A son, a daughter that is filled with the poison of resentment, bitterness, and anger. That's creating your own self-help. Or to be impractical. 
to forgive, to let go. The question finally again is, what gives me the power to do a relationship like this? It's good. I get it. I see my sins. I get it. I recognize what I need to do. But how? What, What power do I have for this? And the power is always who? Power is always who? Jesus, it's the gospel. You have to know where you are. Listen, church, you have to know who you are. You have to know what you were in order for you to find the ability and the power to find freedom. Let me give you an example here. I get annoyed, right? I get annoyed about uh, one specific thing, okay? I get annoyed when I tell you to do something and you agree to do it and I remind you to do it and you don't do it, right? That is 100%. I mean, how many of us feel that way, right? You get annoyed. Uh, you almost get angry. You know, like, like, like resentment begins bubbling up, right? But I remember this one time last year, right? Last year. And it's kind of humbled me a lot, right? Last year, I was, told, I was asked by an elder, Tony, two months prior, because, you know, he's very on top of it. He said, two months prior, he said, Tony, can you share at a prayer night for uh, the Vietnamese? I said, of course, anytime, right? I'd love to. He asked, I agreed. Three weeks prior, he reminded me, Tony, just a reminder, you know, Thursday or Tuesday, uh, you're sharing. No problem. I got it. Right? Then comes the day. And for some reason that day, I did not know, I did not realize that day was, I think it was, it was an anniversary or birthday. I can't remember, honey. You don't remember? It was either my anniversary or, or, or wedding anniversary or was it my birthday. I couldn't remember. But that day, it was really packed. So I, I totally forgot. I, I completely forgot. And because, it was, because that day showed up and I knew it was my birthday, and I knew I had a, another meeting right, that day. I knew because there's a, there's a specific meeting I have every Tuesday, right, which is my elders' meeting. So I literally messaged the elders, thinking I was like, you know, ahead of the game. I can't make it to the meeting today. It's my anniversary. It's the anniversary, okay? It's my anniversary. I think you can understand, right? And lo and behold, I knew that the guy, the elder who asked me was in that meeting, too, because he's one of the elders. So... They went, church said we had a good time, anniversary, and I got a text message from him saying, we're on Zoom waiting for you. But I was thinking, I just, I, I thought it was for the elders meeting, so I said, I, I already told you I'm not coming, like, he must, you know, not be, so I closed the phone, said, ah, whatever, right? And we had a thing. A couple days later, right, uh, Kim came and said, how come you weren't at the prayer meeting? No prayer meeting. You know, elder, he told you to come and, and, and speak, and I was like, Oh, sh- right? Like, no. I said, yeah. Like, he texted you. We were all in the room together, and he texted you, and you didn't respond. I was like, oh, that was his text. Oh, no, right? And I was thinking, I am so screwed. He must hate me right now. Like, he asked. I agreed. He reconfirmed. I re-agreed. He texted me five minutes into it. I completely ignored it. I said, he must hate me, right? He must completely hate me. And so I was so scared that Sunday to go and talk to him. I, was, I, knew, I knew I had to apologize, but I was so scared. I walked up to him, and I, I was like walking. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And the moment I showed up, he restored me right away. He restored me right away. He just said, come here, give me a hug. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. I love you, right? And he said, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. He's like, he's like, don't worry, Pastor Lin, you know, 
he had your back. He was like, he was defending you, even though I was kind of like, I texted him. He's like, oh, Pastor Lim is defending you. And then Jikim was defending you, right? And then he looked at me and says, I get it. I'm old. You forget things, right? I was like, but I'm not as old as you. <laughs> so, right? You know? Do I still get annoyed when people don't do what I ask? Yeah. Right? Completely. But now when I think about this, though, whenever I remember this, I was like, mm, yeah, I have no reason to be annoyed. I'm just as bad. I'm just as bad. You guys get me? Right? He, did, he didn't. He could have easily, I think if he asked me to, like, apologize, I would, I would have, like, forgive me. I would have been on my knees, like, sorry. I would, I, would, I would have done anything. But he didn't do any of that. He didn't even have He just, okay, give me a hug. Everyone vouch for you. You're good. Right? He didn't even say, next time, do better. He didn't even say any of that. He just says, okay, I, I get it. That's it. And I was like, why are you so nice? I don't deserve to be here, you know? What gives us the power, guys? is when you begin to look at your brother and your sister with a heart of raka, you're nobody to me. When you begin to look at your brother and sister with a heart of, you fool, you moron, right? Let me, let, me, let me show you how little you are. When you begin to have this seed of resentment and bitterness begin to fester and poison your heart, you look to the cross of Jesus Christ and you recognize that while you nailed him to the cross, he said to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he came back and he had every right to call you out, what does he do? He calls you up and he says, peace be to you. So who am I? Who am I to look at a brother and a sister with resentment, with anger, with apathy in my heart. You guys get me? And you got to go back to it. You got to keep going back to it. Because if you don't keep going back to it, you're going to forget. And when you forget what's going to happen, all these things begin to fester up again. But when you remember, when you remember what was done on the cross for you, it begins to free you. It begins to transform you. It begins to turn you into the son, into the daughter that is fit for the kingdom of God. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that does that when you are reminded over and over of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that while you were sinners, he died for you. And that news should lead you to do what? Repent. It should lead you to seek repentance before God and transformation. Say, God, I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know I'm not perfect. I know I can't go through this. I'm struggling with it. Only by you can I do this. So, Lord, give me your strength. Forgive me. One more time. Again and again. God never looks at you and says that you're nobody. God never looks at you and says that you are a raka. God never looks at you and calls you a moron. God has no anger with you. Sons and daughters, that is his heart. Not malice anger, by the way. If you're thinking he doesn't anger, it's not malice anger that he has against you. If there's any anger, it's righteous anger. Right? It's the anger that says, I am what's best for you, and yet you choose something else. 
The anger that's mentioned here is the malice anger. The anger that says, I hate you. I despise you. I don't want your existence to be even real. But God does have anger. His anger is a righteous anger. He says, I love you. And nothing in this world can love you better than me. Nothing in this world can actually fulfill you better than me. And if you were to chase after any of that, you will always feel empty inside. How and why do you keep chasing? It's like I'm giving you a steak, but all you want, right, all you want is dirt. Not even food anymore. You just want dirt. You want just to grovel on the earth when I'm offering you something else. Because it's love for you, therefore it's his anger. For you. You're only angry when you love somebody. You guys get me? Like truly, righteously angry when you love somebody. When I get mad at Seth, it's not because I'm like, I hate your existence. I don't want you to be here. When I'm mad at Seth, I'm mad at Enoch, it's because I love them. Right? If they put their fingers in a socket, I'm mad. I don't want you to die. What is wrong with you? You have everything here. Put your finger in Play-Doh. Why would you got to put your finger in electricity cut for? It's dumb. So what do we do? Let me end with this. When do we start practicing this relationship transformation? When? The moment you get up. The moment your bottoms leave these cushions, you practice it. See, some of you are only used to circulating around specific people. Everyone else is a nobody. Everyone else's existence is tolerated, but not really cared for. Some of you are absorbed in your own problems and don't want to talk to anyone. And if everyone starts talking to you, he says, you're a fool. You moron. You don't know anything. You don't know my problems. Some of you are shy and scared of people. And so you keep all of that anger and resentment inside, even though you may feel upset and you want to say something. You should say something, but you're shy and you're scared and you don't want to make an issue. You don't want to make drama. And so you keep quiet in the corner. When do you start this transformation relationship? The moment you stand up and the moment you start saying to yourself, lovelessness is murder. That the fact that I am continuing in my habits like this, this is murder. The fact that I'm continually doing this, circling around certain people and telling, tolerating the others, but pretty much thinking that they're nobodies, that is murder. The moment when you begin to look at your own problems, and then when try, someone tries to come into you, you cast them off thinking that they're morons and fools. And the moment when you know you have resentment, you know you have anger, you know you, there's issues you got to deal with, but you don't want to say anything, you don't want to speak up because you're shy, you're scared, and you don't want to actually heal any relationship, you're a murderer. Lovelessness is murder. So the thing that we need to do now if you call yourself a son and daughter of the living God, heal these relationships. Make healing in these relationships. The gospel is the power to do it. When you forget to love, when you forget, and your anger and your resentment starts festering up, look to the gospel. Look to Jesus on the cross and realize if he can do that for me, when I was the worst of worst, I can do that for a brother.
or a sister. Let's pray.